Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen or you're actually going to decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The wellness breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the wellness guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the country place. 10 acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17 to 19. It's each and every single one of you are gonna support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Ladies, welcome to Wellness Women Radio. Thanks so much for joining us again this week to another great episode discussing all the things that uh, affect you in your lifestyle and ways in which we can help you as a woman have outrageously wonderful health and well-being. I'm Ashley and I'm Andrea. And today we are going to discuss something that uh, is going to affect every single one of us uh, in our future. It's going to affect every single person on this planet. And uh, we're going to go back to a time when really this all began. And that number and that time is 1928. And this is when the discovery of what is deemed a modern medical miracle. And what is that, Andrea? Oh, um, well, I actually didn't know the year, so I'm learning along here too. I love that. Um, but what you're referring to is antibiotics, the discovery of penicillin. Um, you've got more background on the history. I would love to hear this story, Ash, if you can kind of indulge me. Oh, happy because I was a bit of a bio nerd at school. It was my favorite, favorite, <laughs> favorite subject in high school. So I still remember playing around with petri dishes and culturing bacteria and doing all those funny things. So uh, look, we're talking about Alexander Fleming. He's a Scottish biologist and really he was the first to identify the effect of penicillin in being able to kill bugs and bacteria. Mm-hmm. And by all counts, it's an accident because he'd left an uncovered petri dish in uh, his lab and found that malt had been inhibited on the bacteria. So it was amazing to see that it was just an accidental discovery, but it really did transform the way in which uh, diseases and infections were managed from there on in. And uh, it became incredibly important throughout the Second World War um, because of the use in troops and uh, the infections were carried through all the trenches and and the dirt and the mud. Mm -hmm. And now we understand that this was the very first time that we had actually now started to culture and reproduce uh, a antibiotic that could now be used en masse. 
so, yeah, it's quite extraordinary to think that it's really only in recent times that all of this has come about and yet somehow in, well, less than 200 years, less than 100 years, we've managed to go from the miracle that was antibiotics to now the great concern and the very real future threat we have of what is being termed antibiotic or antimicrobial resistance. So. even yeah. the way that you, that you started this episode, Ash, it sounds so ominous, doesn't it, with the this is something that is going to affect absolutely every single one of us, every single person on the planet, and also, you know, livestock and animals as well. Let, let's not forget that they're heavily treated with antibiotics too. And it's pretty easy to get caught up in that, you know, conspiracy theory, like contagion movie sort of metaphor that is that antibiotic resistance or that microbial resistance. Um, but It is for a reason. And even just in the last 24 hours, there's been like three main headlines um, in very popular news media stating things like woman dies from infection resistant to all available antibiotics. Um, Harvard, uh, what is it? Harvard scientists warn of stealth bacteria affecting antibiotic resistance. They even use words like the antibiotic apocalypse and things like think antibiotic resistant superbugs are only a distant threat you know think again so there's so much hype and information around this topic right now and i wholeheartedly agree that one antibiotics are necessary in certain circumstances and that they can be you know life-saving again in certain circumstances however it is very well known now that they are misused, overused, and completely overprescribed as well. And we can't beat around the bush on that one, unfortunately, because it's the World Health Organization that have come out and said exactly that. So, um, oh, look, September just last year, which is 2016, the United Nations have declared a fight on antibiotic resistance. That's how serious, <laughs> serious a threat they consider it, um, because the exact you know current and future impact really is the subject of debate with regards to resistance. I mean, already at this point in time, 700,000 people a year are dying because of antibiotic resistance. Um, And the forecast is that by 2050, which is in most of our lifetimes, I would suspect, there could be as many as 10 million deaths a year. That's going to surpass things like HIV and AIDS, which is – a considerable statistic, so it is something that's very real. And this is not a doomsday uh, <laughs> episode for you guys listening. It's really just talking about, hey, look, it's something that's playing on people's minds. We've had a few questions. I think that the headline of this Nevada woman who died from the superbug, and it was to every known antibiotic available in the US, so mm-hmm. 26 different antibiotics, and she was not able to uh, be saved because they couldn't find anything to use with her particular uh, resistant bacteria. So, it's something that I think a lot of people have heard of. They might have heard of things like the hospital infections and superbugs in hospitals, um, things like golden staff infections that people have been crippled with in their health and well-being. We may even have some of you listening that have been affected by very serious bugs. I know years ago I had uh, a case of pneumonia and I had gone through three different antibiotics to find the one that would, wow. yeah, that would change the course of that uh, pneumonia. So whether that was because, well, to be honest, uh, at the time they didn't culture the sputum, so they should have probably gone through, mm-hmm. done a culture, figured out which one was causing the problem and then treated it 
precisely. But at that point in time, uh, well, one, we I wasn't informed enough to be able to insist on that. And two, it was sort of trial and error with the doctors. So we, we changed those course of antibiotics until something worked. So, you know, even my own personal story shows that there's a possibility that uh, uh, my body has shown resistance to certain antibiotics, uh, no fault of my own because I've not previously used a lot of them, but the bug that I picked up certainly was resistant to the three rounds that I'd had before that one that was successful. So it's very real. Yeah, that's so interesting. There's a very real. And the thing is, I look back and think I was really lucky because I know there are people daily dying from pneumonia, just standard, straightforward pneumonia. They've contracted in daily life and they've gone to hospital and unfortunately have, have not recovered from that. And that's just... Uh, a really serious thought to have. And I think you know, when we start to realise that things like the simplicity of catching pneumonia or even blood poisoning I mean, on a more serious level, tuberculosis and gonorrhea, these have all become more and more difficult and sometimes impossible to treat because of the growing ineffectiveness of antibiotics. And we know that it's, you know, completely ubiquitous uh, because of, you know, the stories in the media and um, our own interactions with patients and how they're affected. But this information is not filtering through to your mainstream health practitioners now. Um, even if the, the CDC or the World Health Organization and the United Nations have declared such things, why is it that we're still seeing patients who are coming in with viral symptoms and they're being prescribed antibiotics? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how, how we, we should be, is yeah, that? and we should be angry about that too, because it's so important to have correct diagnosis on things that could be treated uh, more appropriately, and certainly without the use of antibiotics. So, look, uh, the, the big risk you sort of, if you're still sitting there thinking, well, okay, that sounds all very serious, but uh, I think you really need to put this into probably a more practical perspective. Um, it'll come down to things like routine surgeries, such as hip replacements could become incredibly high risk. You may never recover from anyone who's ever gone down the path of chemotherapy. It becomes something that's so high risk that you may not have any alternatives to. Um, and look, women daily are having C-sections as delivering their children. And that could become an incredibly life-threatening process because you don't have the possibility of antibiotics to protect the body against the infections introduced in the hospital where the surgery's been preceded. So... We take it for granted that we can just walk into hospital, have a surgery, walk out and recover. And I think that's the, that's the very real threat in the future is that none of that is something we can be confident in. And I think that's where I sort of say to people, now we need to really look seriously at this and look at our day to day life, how we can reduce our contribution to this increasing risk of antibiotic resistance. And uh, the resistance, just so we all very clear and we understand, this didn't just happen overnight. And this wasn't something that's happened in, you know, this last five to 10 years when we've all been much more conscious of our own personal hygiene and there's been a rise in, you know, uh, very sterile environments and we've been using antimicrobial hand washes and everything. This is something that's been a product of, you know, at least the last 30 years because in the 60s, 70s and 80s, Antibiotics were certainly, you know, that, that, that miracle drug that you would take for absolutely anything. And there was the overuse of amoxicillin in particular for everybody. Um, but at that time, your general practitioner, your, you know, your normal um, physician that you would see didn't even know that antibiotics were not effective for viruses. Okay. And if that's a new concept to anybody, um, antibiotics, uh, and it, just for your, your own info, I think this is really funny, anti meaning against and biotic meaning life. So antibiotics are <laughs> literally a, a drug that you're taking that's against life. Um, 
they are only effective on bacteria and specific bacterial strains that that individual uh, antibiotic is designed to treat. Um, they're not effective on viral infections, um, which is a lot of what the very common things that antibiotics are actually prescribed for. So there's 30 years that we have, like a 30-year time frame when antibiotics were used liberally for conditions that they didn't even treat, which built up part of that resistance. So that's an entire generation of kids who've grown up in this resistant state. And that's why today amoxicillin in particular is a very, very ineffective for most people. Um, and it's why as well that the drug companies are not able to make strains of antibiotics quick enough and strong enough because of how quickly the clever little bacteria are replicating and changing themselves to be resistant to that because that's part of its, you know, self-preservational instincts and that's just what, you know, pathogenic bacteria do. Um, it's not some conspiracy. That's just how they function. So we cannot make antibiotics quickly enough as fast as what they're morphing or as fast as what they're evolving. So that's the problem. This is what antibiotic resistance is all about, and that's why it's such an issue. And they're an incredible little organism. They've survived since the beginning of time. They've been found in soils and, and throughout the environment. They colonize our entire body. They, they cover our skin and all our membranes. So it's not a war against microbes. Um, it's certainly, you know, in terms of using antibiotics, it's about harmful microbes. And every single time we use antibiotics, uh, unfortunately, what we're really doing is contributing to that antibiotic resistance because every time you take it, you're killing off lots of your good, happy, happy, healthy bacteria in your body. And they have some really important roles in balancing. We've talked about this before, what our bacteria mm -hmm. do and why we need our gut health and, and why we need healthy gut colony. Um, because these things help to, to keep our body in balance, in harmony. They function in regards to our neurotransmitters, so the, the happy hormones in our brain. They contribute to our endocrine, our hormonal system. Women's health is critically important uh, in terms of how well we balance microbially. But what we do when we take those treatments, um, unfortunately, the, some of these bad bugs are left over. And in that environment, without the good ones there to ward them off, uh, we now get a, a surplus colony of bad bugs. And those are the ones that have survived are now resistant to what we introduced. And they do this in a couple of other ways. So just quickly, let people say, well, how, does a, how do they become resistant? Like, that doesn't make any sense. If you take the full course like you're told, why would you have any resistance? But there's a couple of key things that make bacteria just incredible organisms. And the fact is that they can replicate and multiply faster than anything else on Earth. So their ability to replicate means that they can have multiple generations within a small, very small time frame. And, Asha, did yeah. you see that that clip that was going around on social media a little while ago where they had um, the bacteria underneath a bit of a fluorescent light um, and they showed the progression and the replication of the bacteria across, um, you know, a, a membrane or whatever it might be and how quickly that happened in real time. And then they put some antibiotic or some antimicrobials within that and watching how it they were treated with a different fluorescent colour so you could see this new evolution of these bugs. It was happening in real time and it was terrifying to see how it went from, you know, one stage, how quickly it was changing and then into this new bug that then just went on to replicate and change just as quickly. Did you see that? No, and you're going to have to send me a link. That sounds incredible. I mean, terrifying, okay, well, but incredible in the yeah, context of what we're talking about. Social media as well, so you can get uh, a comment what I'm actually talking about. 
but sorry, Ash, what, what were you saying? <laughs> wow, look, that's incredible. So I think that's that's exactly what I was about to talk about, and that is this, this spontaneous mutation that can happen in bacterium DNA. So which basically means that whatever you throw at them, they're very, very quickly adapting to, um, and they can do things by changing enzymes and they can remove proteins and they can even do things like change their cell membrane walls that, that become impervial to the antibiotic in such a short time frame. So that's one big thing. And then the second thing is that they can actually then transfer that antibiotic-resistant gene to the next generation, which is just incredible. I mean, if only humans could adapt that quickly and well, we probably wouldn't have this conversation at all. Um, but these bacteria have the capacity to make such rapid change that it's becoming more increasingly hard. So to realise that um, it's, it comes down to the fact of just simple replication, they're just so much better at replica- replicating and, uh, and taking that DNA information on with them and passing it on. And that's... That's why this happens and this is why it's not that our scientists are not incredibly clever or incredibly capable of creating antibiotics to help. It's just simply how do you keep up? <laughs> how do you yeah, exactly. keep up? How do you foresee something that's that's never been there before? And how do you develop a drug that you've never experienced before? You know, like it's just <laughs> it would be an impossible task to try and predict something like that. Um Let's have a look at just statistically some of the things that antibiotics are over-prescribed for just to give you a bit of fuel so that if, you know, you're going to your health practitioner and or to your general practitioner and they're saying something to you like you need antibiotics or your child needs antibiotics for this condition, um, some questions that you can ask based on some of this information. So um, statistically, by about the age 20, most kids or, or most young people have received at least 17 courses of, of antibiotics, 17 different courses of antibiotics, and that's just on average. Um, there's certainly a lot of situations and circumstances where people will be on antibiotics for long periods of time. Um, in particular, I have a, a beautiful little patient in my practice who's six years old who has, uh, prior to coming to see me, was having urinary tract infections constantly from you know birth to now she's six so she's been on antibiotics almost constantly that whole entire time and uh she takes antibiotic every single day prophylactically for the foreseeable future um that to me is is complete madness uh, fortunately you know this isn't her reality anymore and she has um you know changed the the urinary tract infections but it's the same for women with acne as well this is a common course of treatment is antibiotics every single day usually for a minimum period of about three months um which is just so much destruction and devastation to your whole entire gastrointestinal system as well as your immune system um but i've I've kind of digressed there so anyway um, some of the research that I was looking into in particular was in relation to the two most common things that we prescribe antibiotics for, and they are ear infections and upper respiratory tract infections, So, as well as urinary tract infections, but they're the two biggest ones. And there was a um, systematic review published in the Cochrane Database, which is a very reputable scientific journal, um, and a systematic review means that they've looked at all of the research and they've come to a conclusion that evaluating all of these studies, this is what they're proposing. And they actually found that 60% of children who were treated for ear infections with antibiotics, um, sorry, 60% of children who had ear infections recovered without 
antibiotics. Um, so they recovered within 24 hours, irrespective of antibiotic uh, prescription. Um, but the children who received antibiotics were much more likely to have adverse reactions. So, you know, things including rashes, vomiting, diarrhea. And in fact, one in 14 children had an adverse reaction to the antibiotic. Um, so what this study pretty much found was that a wait and see approach when it comes to ear infections is comparable to antibiotic administration um, because there's absolutely no difference in the actual outcome, um, which I find is really, really interesting. So uh, there's definitely, you know, that push for doctors to stop over-prescribing antibiotics, particularly for otitis media or, you know, those, those common ear infections. And we certainly see that in practice that, that kids will recover very easily from an ear infection um, irrespective of antibiotic use. Um, without, you know, it being devastating for their gastrointestinal system and everything else. Um, the other thing that I find really interesting is that between 60 to 75% or as high as 80% of upper respiratory tract infections and ear infections, that high percentage are actually viral in nature. So up to 80% of those infections are viruses not bacteria, which means antibiotics will not be effective in 80, up to 80% of those infections. And that's everything you've just said is absolutely true, Andrew. It's uh, a really big challenge, I think, for, for people individually as you know, a woman wondering whether you've got an infection that you should be going to a doctor for mm -hmm. or whether you've got children thinking, you know, should I be seeing someone for this? I had a mum in yesterday with a 13-year-old and she uh, had had an ear infection for less than 12 hours. Um, it was put down to the fact that she'd been swimming all week, she must have an infection, and they were heading off the doctors because this little lady was complaining that her ears were so sore. Um, and it was just the one ear, and to be fair, she had uh, really congested lymphatics. So straight away my first thought was, well, let's get uh, let's get her lymphatic system working so the body can remove whatever's mm. backing up there right now. But I, I did actually gently challenge. I said, and so how long has this been there? And did you know that the latest research suggests that a wait and watch is the best approach? And uh, unfortunately, antibiotics are not always effective. And it was just really interesting because, you know, with three three girls in her house that she lived as a mum for, uh, it was almost the first time she'd been challenged on it. And it was just such an assumption that every time a, a sore throat or an ear infection was straight to the doctor because that's just what she knew to do. And yeah, it's interesting though that that term ear infection is almost a bit of a misnomer because the medical term for that is otitis media, which purely just means inflammation within that inner ear. Um, so that that otitis is just that itis just means inflammation. So there may not even be an infection there in the first place. Oh, absolutely, um, and that's a misnomer, isn't it? Because yeah. uh, how many of us, as soon as we have pain in the ear, straight away say, "Oh, I've got an ear infection." as opposed to saying, I've got an earache or I've got pain in my ear, we, we say it's an ear infection, which is a, an assumption that there is an infective process occurring, which we've just explained is not always the case. So, uh, look, these are just a couple of examples of, of some of the most common things. Even people having cold and flu, you know, having symptoms of a cold and flu, aching joints, headache, uh, all your classic signs of flu symptoms, no doctor on the planet can give you an antibiotic to help you with the flu. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's trade-offs to this as well because just because it's such a commonly prescribed medication doesn't mean that there's not going to be impacts on your health because of that. Whenever you take a prescription medication, there are risks and side effects as well. So, you know, if we go into some of those now, if uh, taking antibiotics um, – 
you know, even having more than one to four courses in your lifetime can increase your risk of gut inflammation, allergies, eczema, asthma. In fact, you're twice as likely to develop asthma in kids who've received antibiotics in their first year of life. And um, the highest rate of kids with asthma was actually the ones who've had more than four courses of broad spectrum antibiotics. Um, And there's even research now that's supporting the notion that antibiotics affects your your, uh, metabolic function too. So your body weight um, uh, and there's an increased risk of obesity later in life with kids who've been treated multiple times with antibiotics. So this is also helping us to understand how the micro the microbiome impacts um, your metabolic changes as well. Uh, and those are just a very short list of some of those risks. Um, and some people do have uh, allergies or issues with certain types of antibiotics, in particular penicillin-based ones. Um, so that it's not um, completely safe just to go and take a, a prescription antibiotic just because that's prescribed to you. Um, we, we certainly need to ask questions about these things and whether or not they're absolutely necessary. Well, let's have a talk about you know, what sort of things are creating this because I love the term antibacterial overkill. I think the modern uh, modern house mum has fallen into this trap thanks to some really good uh, marketing in terms of how we should have hygienic homes and how we should have clean homes and we should have safe homes for ourselves and our family. Um, and this sort of comes back to some of the research that was done in the late 80s by a researcher in America and he actually proposed something called the hygiene hypothesis. And his hypothesis was that it was actually the widespread use of antibiotics and vaccinations that had led to an increase in allergic diseases. And, Interesting. Yeah, and in particular asthma because he'd noticed that the rates of asthma had more than doubled in the past decades and that was what triggered his hypothesis about this uh, basically antibacterial overkill that we were trying to make the environment too clean and that sterility was actually contributing to an increased rate of uh, asthma and I guess more allergic reactions and hypersensitivity concerns. And so this is this was phenomenal because they even did uh, a couple of studies on this to obviously confirm or deny this hypothesis and they certainly found that uh, in a large study of children in Arizona there were the children who had siblings who had attended daycare um, which obviously meant they were more exposed to germs were less likely to have chronic respiratory issues and that included oh, asthma. Yeah, yeah, so phenomenal. And so, of course, you know, these, these kids had fewer rates of asthma, hay fever and skin diseases than those who'd actually been overprotected from microorganisms. So, um, and I mean, It makes so much sense because yeah. actually even if we just think about when we grew up, we were encouraged to go out and play outside in the dirt, you know, getting your hands in the dirt, uh, playing with mud, you know, getting all over your pets, like, those sorts of things because we knew that it was innately good for our immune system to do these sorts of things because we're exposing ourselves to a whole bunch of different things in a very safe, controlled sort of way. Oh, 100%. And actually contracting a a disease or being exposed to a bacterial virus, it arms our immune system with real weapons for defense. So There's a reason why we used to have chicken pox parties. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and and eat dirt. You know, like your parents were happy for you to eat dirt and uh, you didn't run out there with a child in the mud and suddenly start wiping them down head to toe with antibacterial wipes. You're just like, oh, right. You know, <laughs> Ash is sitting in a puddle. She's uh, catching tadpoles. This is me. I, I grew up on uh, 30 acres. I was really lucky. I had plenty of dirt. And I 
obviously there was livestock in there and throwing uh, the puddles that would come around and I'd be out there stomping around in my gum boots, um, pretty much nothing else because I was a child who loved to run run free and uh, literally be <laughs> covered in mud, catching tadpoles and I know for a fact my mum didn't have any antibacterial stuff. It was literally just like hose you off and let you run away again um, and that's kind of the exposure rates that my brother and I experienced and we certainly don't have any family histories or any current history or concerns with regards to skin allergies, eczema, asthma, uh, sensitivities, or and just it's quite interesting to see where that shift has come and they're really considering it has actually become part of this new revolution of using so many antibacterial products, whether it be sprays, wipes, cleansers, hand soaps, um, body washes. I mean, there's even antibacterial toothpaste. Like your mouth yeah, is meant to yeah. have bacteria in it. That's how you how you break down foods and, and produce enzymes. You need to have bacteria on your skin and on your body. It's just as much good as it is bad. Like there's it's equal amounts of all the good stuff. So every time you kill off the bad stuff, you kill off all the good stuff too. And I think that we also need to understand that the antibiotic resistance is not just prevalent for for us taking, you know, those antibiotics or using all of the very uh, hyperallergenic, overly hygienic, you know, hand soaps and those sorts of things. Um, But all of our livestock is heavily treated with antibiotics and antimicrobials because we don't want bacteria in the milk that people are drinking and we don't want sick cows because that's not going to produce meat and uh, it's going to be very difficult to you know to make money and make a profit when all the cows are sick so they're very heavily treated with antibiotics in fact that um, that is the highest use of antibiotics in the world is actually in our livestock um, so that is why for me personally I'm very conscious about any of the protein that I can Assume that it's always from a grass-fed source that is antibiotic-free and hormone-free too. Um, it was interesting. I um, heard a um, like a little anecdote that previously dairy cows used to be surgically changed so that they could directly put antibiotics straight into their stomach. So it's almost like you could go and open a flap and look straight into their stomach and that's how they would treat them with antibiotics because they didn't want any bacterial contaminants into the milk, Um, which is just the strangest sci-fi thing to even think about. But that's the extent that people are going to – sorry, that's uh, just Tiaki barking there, Um, just saying hello. So, and, and, you know, that's a really great way to help to protect your immune system too is have a pet. (laughs) That's also uh, true. Yes, let them, you know, when they roll around and you've got your child having a big old kiss and a lick, you you shouldn't uh, stress too much. Just let let that love be shared. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I certainly encourage that. Um, So let's talk about a few things that you can do to help to protect yourself, uh, I guess, from antibiotic resistance. But first – from the need to have antibiotics Um, and these come down to those you know timeless health principles but in particular um, the biggest thing for me I think is if you're unwell always test don't guess so if you do have an upper respiratory tract infection or a urinary tract infection um, as well something along those lines that may not be responding or changing as quickly as what you'd like instead of automatically just taking a broad spectrum antibiotic request culturing of whatever the microbial is because that way if you do need antibiotics they can be very specific about the dosage and the strain that they're giving you as well so as a general rule of thumb always test don't guess 
Another rule I love to live by is don't ever share antibiotics. I know there's a lot of people who over time have uh, had a prescription, got the prescription, were getting better, so I thought I won't use the antibiotics, and they've kept them in the cupboard just in case they need to use them again in the future. Um, so and I've had this before because it was in my own home, and I remember thinking at the time when I was traveling overseas, and mum goes, oh, you take these just in case. And it was, uh, it was uh, yeah, broad-spectrum antibiotic. I remember thinking, well, it's all very good, but <laughs> one, how old are these? And two, they weren't prescribed for me. And look, I know that sounds like, oh, illegal, but I think most of you know that that's just how our home life is. If you're in a family, you generally sort of share things around. If it's in the cupboard, you look after <laughs> each other. So that's another challenge is if you haven't used the antibiotics, throw them out. Don't save them for another day when you think you might need them because you're going to self-diagnose and use them at some other time in the future. So please don't yeah. ever share them and don't uh, don't keep them. Okay, so test, don't guess, don't share them. Um, I would be questioning the efficacy of what treatment regime they're offering to you as well. So, for example, mm. most women are actually given antibiotics prophylactically during labour and then also immediately following birth. Um, and this is a, a common practice that previously became popular because it was actually thought to protect the newborn um, baby from any STIs that the mother might have. Um, you know, obviously, if they were born vaginally. Um, so in particular, if uh, a mother has, say, chlamydia, there is a small risk that the child might have some, um, you know, conjunctivitis-type symptoms when they're born. Of course, it's temporary, but that's why they would treat them with antibiotics during labour and then, of course, post-delivery. But it became so mainstream that they just do it for everybody now. Um, and we know from the statistics that I spoke about just before that the increased risk of eczema, asthma um, and a whole bunch of other things that are actually really impacting the child's immune system, that if they're treated with antibiotics in the first year of life, they're at higher risk of that. So question these practices because if you're not at a high risk and you don't need them, why would you take them in the first place? And if there's absolutely no infection, then why would you do that to yourself? And why would you also impact the health of the microbiome of your tiny little developing bulb? It just doesn't make any kind of sense to me. All right, so... Uh, test, don't guess, don't share them, question the efficacy of the treatment uh, regime. If you want statistics and studies on this to arm yourself, just ask us because we can readily make all of these available for you. We've done all the hard yards in terms of the research for this topic, so you don't have to do it for yourself. Um, when you do have to take them, please follow the doctor's guidelines. Make sure you complete the course correctly as it's been prescribed to you. Don't double up on dosages, don't skip them, and uh, make sure you finish the prescription properly because that's another way to help reduce the risk of antibiotic resistance. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? There's so much um, conflicting evidence that says, yes, you have to complete them. No, you don't have to complete them. Um, but I guess we're still kind of on the, on that, that side of the fence that says you must complete them right now until better evidence is available. Correct. Um, yep. Make sure you're having a really nutrient-dense diet. You know, I think this goes without saying, but the ways to protect your immune system is to make sure that health comes from the inside out. It doesn't come from the outside in by taking drugs and antibiotics and those sorts of things. So protecting your immune system and your gut health by, you know, a really good nutrient-dense diet, plenty of fermented foods, um, if that's appropriate for you. Um, always trying, say, botanical or herbal remedies um, that are statistically shown or, you know, there's good evidence that supports their usage for certain conditions i'm always uh, a pro um or you know would recommend that over antibiotics because you know you're not increasing your risk of resistance and not destroying your microbiome um 
at the same time as well. Oh, and, and there's just- plenty of foods as well that are probiotic rich so they can help enhance the good bacteria in your body. So we've talked a lot about those in previous episodes. Um, you know, there's so many fermented foods, apple cider vinegar, cultured dairy products. These are all things that are going to help to basically restore your body's own strength in the immune system so that your body's more resistant, more capable and more available to respond to anything you encounter that could potentially cause you to become infected with a bacteria. Let it uh, be killed properly by your immune system as opposed to overloading your system uh, because you're run down and because your immune system's functioning poorly. And look, there's so many foods out there as well that we could call for want of a better term, Mother Nature's antibiotics. There's so many foods and plants and herbs that are actually powerful antibiotics, antibacterials, antimicrobials, antiparasitics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot out there. And if you know what they are, then you can go out there and try those first. Everyone's probably seen in the supermarket when it's cold and flu season, straight away on the, the shelf comes the echinacea and manuka honey uh, lozenges and things like that. So that's a giveaway that, yes, there's certainly uh, some powerful antibacterial properties to that and also you know antimicrobial, so it can be antiviral. Things like onions, mushrooms, uh, turmeric, you've got garlic, uh, the old wives' tale that go to bed with <laughs> garlic strapped to your body or, or the quirky things they used to do, you know, sleeping with garlic cloves under your pillow. Well, I'm not sure that uh, I'd like my bedroom to smell like garlic, but certainly having raw garlic in, in foods will, uh, will will help your health and will help your immune system as well. And that's certainly Definitely. one of the most powerful antibacterials. So. Yeah, the garlic and horseradish, there's tea tree oil, there's mm. clove oil and oregano oil, um, or oregano oil, I should say, as we, we say down here in the southern oregano. hemisphere. I don't know where that came from, I'm channeling my, my Canadian. You, know, uh, you know, American or something. But, um, you know, all of these sorts of things are, are tried and tested, um, but also uh, supported by scientific evidence as well. Um, so, again, if you want some suggestions for botanicals or herbals, let us know. We'll certainly post them on our social media um, so that you've got a good little resource there um, for you or if there's things that you know of that you've tried before that's maybe one of your home remedies um, that you find works for a specific type of thing let us know those sorts of things so just recap through there um, because I know that was a lot of information today um, just protecting your membrane that health comes from the inside out so having that nutrient dense diet don't share your antibiotics um, try and be as specific you can test don't guess and just because you're unwell just because there might be an infection doesn't mean that it's bacterial and it also doesn't mean that it needs antibiotics as the first line of defense um we we certainly try to take a a holistic approach to health so making sure you've got all those bases covered first is going to protect you in the first place Um, so ladies make sure you're communicating with us on facebook which is facebook.com forward slash the wellness women or follow us on Instagram, which is underscore the wellness women. Uh, our website is thewellnesswomen.com.au. Uh, we really look forward to hearing from you and hearing what you thought of this episode as well. So please um, go onto iTunes, leave us a five star rating, leave us your comments and your reviews there because it does make such a difference. And we are so, so grateful for all of your support so far. Um, so we'd love it if you keep it up. Thank you so much. Um, ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.